Good morning, everybody. I'm Daniel, uh, one of the pastors here, and um, happy Mother's Day. Man, moms are a big deal. Moms are a big deal. And when you're a kid, you kind of, you, you know it, right? You know it. But now that I'm a parent, we have two kids. And um, after we had our first, I'm the oldest of six kids. So growing up, that was just normal. And, you know, appreciated the stuff my mom did, but it was just like, yeah, that's what mom does. It's awesome. Uh, now that I'm a parent, it's a little different because we had one kid and I was like, my mom did this six times. That's crazy. So thank you, moms. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. All right, <clears throat> let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning and uh, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you are active among us and thank you that Heavenly Father, that you are our perfect parent. And um, we thank you that uh, the amazing mothers that we've been privileged to have, um, that they are uh, just a reflection of you. And God, for those of us who maybe um, didn't have that or didn't experience that, thank you that you are such a perfect parent that you heal all of those places. Um, and uh, specifically this morning, as we think of healing, Father, and we think of people who just need you, we, we think of those who are struggling with the coronavirus outbreak in India. And, um, and just, God, we just pray for those sweet people um, that you would send aid, relief, that you would bring healing and bring an end to, um, to the pandemic there. Uh, and God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are well able to take care of these large global scale kind of things. Uh, you're also able to shepherd our hearts this morning as we get in your word. And we ask that you would do that. I pray that, would you just give us humility, Lord? before you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are jumping into uh, Luke chapter 12 this morning. We're kind of right on the heels of what Chad spoke on last week. If you haven't heard that message yet, I really highly encourage you to take, take, take a few minutes this week, go back and listen to that because I think it was such an important message for us as a church uh, right now. And um, and so we're kind of jumping in right on the heels of that. And, uh, and let's, just, let's just jump in. We're going to be in verses, um, starting in verse, verse 35. It's going to be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants for whom... Uh, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what, at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to get nervous when I read verses like that, where Jesus is like, I'm coming back and you got to be ready. 
It's like, oh my goodness, okay. Um, and I, you know, you start running through, you try to like, well, I, at least where I start is it's like, okay, I feel like there's probably a list I should be checking off. What's on the list? You know, like, am I wearing pants right now? It's kind of that kind of like panic, like, do I have, you know, my wallet with me? It's like this kind of thing that every time I read this stuff, and maybe you feel the same way. And, um, and it always feels like this place of like, you better be doing this stuff. So if Jesus comes back and he catches your hand in the cookie jar, I mean, you're gonna, you're really gonna get it. And, um, and it's not really that. I want us to see what specifically what Jesus is saying here. And yes, as we think about Jesus coming back, there's definitely a heart check. There's definitely a way of living that Jesus has for us. And, he, and we're going to get into that. But I want us to take specifically this parable he just told and look at the attitude that he has when he thinks about coming back. Because the way that he sets this up is he's, he's like, it's like you're a servant in this house and you are eagerly awaiting the return of your master who's just gotten married. And he's coming back with his new wife and you're like waiting there by the door to hear the knock at the door so you can be like, congratulations, woo! You know, and it's like, and then the celebration has come home. And this is what he saw. It's like Christmas morning kind of stuff. It's like, you know, surprise birthday party, like, oh, they're coming, quick, get in your spots. You know, like that kind of thing, right? And so it, there's this excitement, there's this anticipation. And I think it's important that we get this because the, I think the thing that, that I tend to miss sometimes when I read pa a passage like this, and maybe you do too, is that we, we miss what it really means to be awake and be ready. See, because get this, when, when he comes, it's, it's exciting, it's, there's this anticipation, and then when he actually arrives, those, those servants that he finds awake and ready, he's like, hey, actually, you sit down, I'm going to serve you dinner. He's the master. Like, they should have something ready for him, but he's like, no, I'm going to come home and you recline at the table. I've got something sweet to share with you. It's kind of an incredible picture. And, and there's some things that he says that's really surprising. And, and so this whole invitation is really like, wake up. Not, not like, don't have your hand in the, it's like, just be awake, be ready, be excited for when Jesus comes. So what, is this, what does this mean? What does it mean to be awake, to be ready? Well, primarily, and there's, there's probably some other things too, but this is the biggest and first thing on the list, is that you have put your faith in Jesus. That is how we get ready for the return of Jesus. We put our faith in him. That is how we are ready. If we've put our faith in Jesus, we're awake. We're, an we're anticipating that moment he returns because it's going to be a celebration for us who have put our faith in Jesus. So there are other things, like absolutely, once we put our faith in Jesus, there's a, there's, there are things that he wants us to do, ways that he wants us to live our life, absolutely, and we're about to talk about that. But first and foremost, nothing else matters. <laughs> nothing else matters if you have not first put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you can be ready for his return. Because here's the bottom line, is Jesus is not impressed with your church attendance He's not impressed with your Bible knowledge. 
He's not impressed with your seminary degree. He's not impressed that I'm up here speaking. He's not impressed with religious activity, just that is only activity. (laughs) What he's looking for are people who have really and truly put their faith in him, have a genuine relationship with Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's where it starts, okay? And so if that's the case for you this morning, then the return of Jesus is something to be excited about. It's not the, where's my wallet? It's the, get in places, he's coming. You know, it's like exciting, right? Now, in, uh, in verse 41, we're going to continue on. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And, you know, dependable Peter always seems to be the one to ask the question, which is great. I mean, if you have people like this in your life that where everybody is thinking something, but nobody wants to look dumb and they're the one that will ask the dumb question, it's like, thank you. I love you. Thank you. Just you're saying what everybody else is thinking. There's a certain thing that's like, it's nice to have those people around. All right. Usually. Uh, And and this is what I love. So Peter asked this question and I think he's, he's like wondering, you know, is, is this just for us disciples? Is this for everybody? Because if it's just for us, I'm not getting this. And, uh, and so then I feel pretty bad about that. But if it's for everybody, then I think everybody's not getting it. And then I've got good company. Around, you know? I love this. Jesus doesn't even answer the question. It says, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? He, he jumps into another parable. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master will come uh, or the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not, uh, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. See, Jesus' tone changes a little bit here. He kind of changes from, hey, this is something to look forward to, to kind of a somber warning. Because the reality is, is the return of Jesus is not happy for everyone. And while the first parable focused on that, the excitement, the anticipation, the second parable focuses a little more on what it looks like to be unfaithful. And it's sobering because the first thing I see here is that Jesus is saying that you can be in the house, but be unfaithful. That's sobering. It's sobering that that we can be doing Christian stuff just for the sake of doing it and do it without any sort of real relationship with Jesus. That's sobering. And the scripture manages this tension 
kind of throughout. I mean, there's a lot of places in scripture. It talks about how, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, right? And that is something that we can have assurance of. It's not something that comes and goes day by day based on our behavior. It's a free gift of grace. But scripture also says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians chapter two. Or in the end of uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, test yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Like, don't be deceived. And this is the thing about our hearts is that our hearts are deceitful above all things. We love to be deceived. (laughs) That's just the reality of being human. We love to be deceived. I mean, that's why why stuff like fake news is a big deal. (laughs) Because people eat it up. We love to be deceived. And Jesus wants us to know what's true. When we come to scripture, he wants us to take a good look and see, does this, does what scripture talks about when it comes to salvation and what that actually looks like, is that what's happening in my life? I was reading a few weeks ago, it was an essay by Jonathan Edwards, um, it's called some, something like the distinguishing marks of a work of the spirit of God or something real similar to that. And um, if you've read anything about Jonathan Edwards, it's very dense. Uh, but there was one thing. So he's ta- one of the, in one of the sections of the essay, he was writing about how the Holy Spirit kind of awakens our conscience to hate sin. And one sentence as he's kind of, hashing that out really stuck with me. And this is what he writes. He says, the more sensible conscience is in a diseased soul or the more like awakened or sensitive a conscience is in a diseased soul, the less easily it is quieted without a real healing. The less easily it's quieted without a real healing. That stuck with me. Because I think it is so easy, even as a follower of Jesus, to just get comfortable with the current state of my heart and to forget about how much I need Jesus to transform me and guide me and lead me to repentance every single day. And that has just, just that idea of like, wanting real healing because sometimes what I want is I just want to not be embarrassed (laughs) more than I want real healing. And I can, if people think that I'm doing okay, then I feel okay about myself rather than just allowing God to stare straight at my soul and tell me what's what. That can be a scary thing. But something the spirit of God does in us is makes us unsatisfied with anything less. And this is what Jesus is all about. Helping us to live in truth. Now, hear me, as believers, right, we don't get it all perfect. <laughs> and, and, and even once you put your faith in Jesus, although you are 100% completely forgiven, absolutely There's still a process that we go through of learning how to live that out. And the Holy Spirit transforms us into knowing how to actually live the way that Jesus created us to live. And 
and again, you know, we're, we're in good company. You read the Apostle Paul, the, the one who wrote much of the New Testament in Romans chapter 7 is like, hey, there's these things that I know that I should do them, <laughs> and I don't do them. And then there's this, there's this list of stuff I don't want to do, but that seems to be the stuff I keep doing all the time. And we all relate, right? <laughs> we all relate. But the beauty is that that is bookended by Romans chapter 6, which says, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And Romans chapter 8 that says, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Because I've been set free by the Spirit. And so this is the bookend of our experience once we put our faith in Jesus. That yeah, we're still, he's renewing us and helping us to die to the flesh and live to the Spirit. But the reality is, is that I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. And this is the experience you have after you're saved, that you receive the Holy Spirit. You put your faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And then again, for those of you in the, in the room who, who have put your faith in Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. When I say he just begins to work on your heart and there's things that you used to do that all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Or like things that you did that were just normal. And it's like, that's not okay anymore. And so maybe it's just like, you know what? I used to just constantly manipulate people to get what I want. And that was cool. I thought that was great. I liked getting what I want. And then the Holy Spirit begins to reveal that. Just reveal how that is so unloving. You're taking all of this stuff that you're insecure about and you're putting it on other people and you're trying to put them in a spot that they should never have in your life. And Really what Jesus models for us is unconditional love no matter what it costs for me. Oh man, okay. And there just begins to be this ongoing attitude of repentance that when we put our faith in Jesus, there's an initial repentance where we say, God, I am wrong. I have offended you. A holy God, a perfect, eternal God. I've offended you. My sin is against you. Yeah, I've hurt other people too, but my sin is against you. And I need your forgiveness. And then as we walk by his spirit, we see day by day by day, all the ways that our flesh still kind of rears its ugly head and we do things that don't look the way that Jesus created us to live. And we just say day after day, we say, God, you're right. Your word is true. I, was, I am wrong. I turn away from that and I agree with you. I want to live the way you want me to live. Would your Holy Spirit give me the strength and the power to do that? And that, that, that's just what it looks like to, as, as salvation begins to be worked out in our lives. And Jesus does something else here that he frequently does. And he's taking this idea that seems, again, it, it, it's, it's a big idea. I mean, salvation <laughs> is a big idea. And sometimes it can seem so big that it's like, okay, like, yeah, salvation. 
It's kind of this big out there thing. And Jesus is like, no, this is so real. It's so tangible. And this is how tangible he makes it is that even in this, in this parable, he connects salvation and really the fruit of salvation. And he, and he shows that a faithful person loves and cares for people. An unfaithful person does not. Now, again, let me be extremely clear. We are only saved by grace, which means we can't earn it, through faith in Jesus, which means we put all of our trust in what he's done for us, not in what we can do. But scripture also talks about many, many, many places that if we have been saved, we will begin to see fruit in our life that primarily looks like genuine love for other people. Jesus talks about this in other parables, right? Matthew 25, he talks about the sheep and the goats, that for those who are being saved, they're like, what, why are we being saved? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, and I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He goes on this list. And they're like, when did we do that? They're surprised. When did we ever do that? He said, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. He says the opposite to those who are unfaithful, right? They, I was in prison and you never visited me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And again, they were surprised. They're like, when did we ever see you? He said, the least of these. When he's talking to Peter and kind of restoring him after he has a really bad, bad day. He says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says something so interesting. He says, then feed my sheep. Jesus takes it so personally, the way that we love and treat other people. It's so personal to him. Now, again, this does not save us, but it is a fruit of salvation. Again, in, uh, in 1 John, right? If we say we love God, but we don't love our brother, then we're liars. Even with sweet, the Zerns shared that passage. Jesus is like, hey, they're gonna know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. It's gonna be the distinguishing mark of somebody who follows me is their love will be supernatural unlike anything the world can produce. These are, these are big questions that scripture tells us to ask. And not necessarily, am I doing this perfectly? But do I see this fruit being worked out in my life? And I'll tell you what, I've got a long way to go but I've seen some glimpses of it in myself and I know that God is working on me. Not anything because of, like not because of anything that I've done or because I have any kind of pedigree or anything impressive, but because I've been saved by grace and God's changing me. And that's what, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. So there's some things here that just somber warnings and, 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 and one more that was troubling to me, again, at the end of this, this passage, at the end of this parable, Jesus says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
there, there is a significance to who you are, where you're placed, and the kind of stewardship that God has given you. And I think in general, the fact that we are here in America, I mean, you think about the disproportionate money and resources we have, the kind of freedoms we have to be able to speak and pray and share about Jesus and access to education, access to the gospel. You can literally just get the Bible for free on your phone. And we have access to these things in a unique way. And even, you know, we, we make it more personal here, Pleasant Valley Church. This church has been blessed in specific ways. And it's not for us. It's, it's a stewardship. We've been entrusted. And we are going to have to give account for that. And just like last week, Chad talked about, and again, we're, we're like just right on the heels of this. So don't let this be disconnected. But last week, and this is just a few verses before, Jesus tells the parable of the, the, the rich fool who had a great year. His crops came in and he's like, sweet, I'm gonna build barns. And I just worry that for us, that we have experienced the blessings of God. And again, I know there's probably, you may be able to think of all sorts of ways. What? Well, you know, this could be better. This could be better. It doesn't matter. We have been given a stewardship. And I think all too often, and I'm saying we here, that we have taken the blessings of God and said, this is all for me. And I just, I just pray that God would break our hearts. I just pray that God would give us broken and contrite hearts that want justice and righteousness more than comfort. And I just, I, I just know personally, and you guys got to hear from Chad last week, um, just some of the things God's been doing in his heart and I just got to tell you, the last, the last month or so, I've just been so broken. And in a lot of ways, relate to many of the things that Chad was saying. And just that, you know, in certain ways, it's like, God, thank you that you're teaching me. I still feel a little late to the game on some things that seem real obvious now. <laughs> but... One of the things I just keep thinking about in my, just in my own life is, is, uh, is, man, God, I just want to have a heart that is truly, truly after you. And um, God brought to mind a passage in Amos chapter five where he's talking to his nation, Israel, and they were really like blessed to be a blessing. And they had just strayed so far from that made it all about themselves to the point where God's like, I hate your festivals. I don't even want to be at your somber assemblies. Stop bringing me sacrifices. Instead, let justice flow. Let righteousness flow. And I just pray that God takes us to that place 
And the beautiful thing is that he does it in our hearts first, right? But I pray that he would just begin to, or he would continue to do that at this church. That we would just lose the taste for all the other stuff. To say, God, I just want you. I want the real stuff. I want justice. I want righteousness to flow. Would that be the, the legacy that flows from this church? That we were involved in, in the kind of stuff that God cares about. I think way too often, and again, myself, I'm asking questions about how, how, how can I grow in my relationship with Jesus? And how can I, you know, experience the fullness that Jesus has for me? And I'm asking these questions in a vacuum as if I could somehow get that without engaging in anything that he's asked me to do. Like that somehow I could grow in my relationship with Jesus and experience the fullness that he has for me, but never be a part of anything that he's asking me to do. And it doesn't make sense. See, a broken and contrite heart is the worship that God actually wants. All right, let's keep going. Verse 49, Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I want us to catch that first part, that Jesus was greatly distressed to go to the cross. Not because he was distressed about what he was going to go through, but because that was the purpose for which he came. And he could not wait to accomplish it. That struck me when I read that. Like he was distressed until he could be in distress. It pained him that he had to wait to be in pain. Like that is so mind-bogglingly different than what I think about. I struggle when God asks me to get even a little bit uncomfortable. I have to struggle through that. Like, okay, oh, all right, God, I'll do it, but you really got to help me here. And, you know, and that's good. Like that, that's where we need to be. But I just think about the intensity of Jesus and the intensity of just his focus on what he, what he came to do for us. And he says something else that's kind of unexpected that he's like, I, I came to bring division. What he's talking about is the fact that he is just, Jesus is a fork in the road, right? You cannot encounter Jesus and not make a choice. You have to decide. If you have encountered Jesus, you either are invited to, you know, you can continue to do what you're doing You can be God of your own life or you can deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's his invitation. That if we're gonna follow him, we shouldn't expect that if he's the one who went to the cross and in fact couldn't wait to do it, that if we follow him, it's gonna mean suffering. And God forgive us and forgive me for thinking that I could somehow polish the gospel and make it seem like it's, oh, Jesus will just make your life better. 
No, not like that. He will make you alive. He will make you really and truly alive. But not in the way that you think, but in the way that you were created to be. That you will find the life that comes with experiencing the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if you want to experience resurrection life, there's death first. And if we follow the suffering servant, we know there's suffering ahead of us. And God, we thank you for the suffering. Because you cannot know Jesus unless you know him in his suffering. And I think that's why the poor and those who have experienced injustice are so close to his heart. And I know I've been so tempted to just look from a distance and say, glad it wasn't me. That is so not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus who stepped into our mess. He, he had no business having to do that. To come and die on a cross for what I did? It doesn't make any sense. That's what I want to follow. I want to do that. God, I want to do that. Would you help us? Let's keep going. Verses 54 through 56. He said also to the crowds, when you see a, cl a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. When you see a south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? See, at this time, the cultural norm was everybody just, they just knew it. They were sure of it, that the, when the Messiah came, he was going to be a military leader. He was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to make Israel great like it once was. Everyone was sure of it. They were positive. That's what the Messiah was going to be about. The Pharisees, they were like, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be our biggest fan. He's going to love our Bible knowledge. He's going to love how we just tell everybody else what to do. He's going to be glad that we've been doing this job so well. They were sure of it. And then Jesus came and they hated everything he was about. Because he started to say things like, you know what, I got to go to the cross. Even his closest disciples were like, no, Lord, that's not the plan. That's not the plan. And I think we just need to be very careful. And we have to have some strong discernment when we're presuming what, who Jesus is and what he wants. Because there's so many things that we've just been culturally discipled by. That there's things that we believe about Jesus and what he wants that are found nowhere in the Bible. That we have verses memorized <laughs> that don't appear anywhere in scripture. It's not the heart of God. 
but we care about it a lot because we're afraid. And the reality is that Jesus is always doing something so much greater than what you could ask or imagine. And whether that's at a macro level, you know, in the world, in our country, but even in our own lives, there's stuff that we're, that we're scared about. There's stuff that keeps us up at night and we, we know what we want God to do. But let us not presume that what we want God to do is the best thing for him to do. Because what it looks like to follow Jesus is to say, not my will, but your will be done. And I used to think in prayer that that was kind of a cop out. You know, that we should, we should pray bold prayers and we should, we should kind of, you know, just tell God what we want. And, you know, on a certain level, I, that is totally fine. You, you tell God exactly what's on your heart. You tell him what, what's going on inside and, and, and the, th- the outcomes you want. Absolutely, you tell him. But at the end of the day, what Jesus modeled for us is like, God, but not my will, yours be done. And I, and I have just become so positive of this, that when I ask God, your kingdom come and your will be done, I am asking for his absolute best to be done. And just I'm admitting I have no idea what that is, but your will be done. And I know that is the absolute best thing that could happen. Let's wrap it up, the last two verses. And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. See, we end here on a som- another kind of somber warning from Jesus that the reality is, is we all have a debt that we owe. Every single one of us. And, and this is why Christians should be the most merciful, gracious people on the planet. Is because to be a follower of Jesus, you realize that we are all on level ground before a holy God. That no level of good works or pedigree could ever, ever make up for how short we've all fallen. And the invitation from Jesus, I believe, is this, is that right now we have, a, we have a very important and special time where we have not yet come before the judge. We don't have any evidence on our side, by the way. We have not yet come before the judge. And, and here's the thing is, I, I'm not about trying to scare people, but I think it's important we take stock of the reality of the situation <laughs> We have a debt that we owe and we are not guaranteed to even have tomorrow to think it over. I'm just telling you that I cannot promise you that you have tomorrow. I hope you do, but we don't know. And what Jesus is saying is that the time for repentance is right now. (laughs) This is the only time that you know that you have is right now. The gift of Jesus is so incredible and completely free of charge. He says, come, get food that you couldn't buy. Drink water that you'll never be thirsty again without price. 
It's, it's a free gift, and he offers it to everyone. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and as they come up, I just, we're going to move into a time of prayer, and I, I just encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, the only guarantee you have is today. And again, it's, I, I, I do not want to manipulate or strong arm anybody into anything. But I do want to speak the truth to you, though. You don't know that you have tomorrow. And scripture is extremely clear of what happens when we stand before God and we have to pay the debt that we owe for ourselves. But Jesus paid it on our behalf. That when we accept what he's done, the sin that we've done in the past, paid for, forgiven. The stuff that I'll do today that's, that's wrong and messed up and sinful, paid for, forgiven. Everything that I'll do in the future, forgiven. That I know that I have a perfect relationship with my heavenly father because Jesus has given me his perfect record. That yeah, I'm gonna keep messing up. I know it. And I pray that with God's help, I'll keep maturing, but I'm gonna also keep even that forgiveness. But also, so that's for now. But when we stand in front of him, it will be so incredible and so exciting. Whether it's when he comes back or we die. That through Jesus, I know what kind of reception that I will receive from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that as we uh, wrap up with this last song, we know that you have just so, so lavishly poured out your grace on us. And I ask that you would just continue to transform us and mature us. God, we know that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Father, if there are people here who maybe haven't put their faith and trust in you, pray that they would give up on trying to do it themselves and just see that there's no way they could earn something that already is freely given. Father, would you break our hearts for the things that break your heart? Would we look like you? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.